All right, we are live on Facebook. Um, we'll wait a few seconds for people to get on. Right now we have two viewers. Feel free to say hi and let me know where you are. Where in the world are you? Um, but in the meantime, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of work I hope to figure out is figuring out like what, where are the niches that can still grow in conservation? And you know, I always try to address it at the end of the show, just trying to figure out well if people aren't off to school studying or if they are, what are the different avenues people can take to get into conservation? I think it's such a growing field that we could accommodate, you know? Yeah, there's this, this opportunity to specialize and dig in deep um, rather than just being at that high level. Yeah. Great. Definitely. Awesome. Melissa saying hi from Nassau. Yeah. Hi, hi, Melissa. It's great to see you. Thanks for joining <laughs> us today. All right. Um, okay, so we have about six viewers. Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> oh, you know, okay. I was like, okay, yes. Andrew's from NASA. Awesome. Hopefully we can get going. We have uh, seven people viewing. I don't want to keep... Oh, there's Olivia. <laughs> hey, Olivia. Olivia. Um, don't want to keep to the many people waiting. So welcome again, everyone, to... Episode six of season two of Siren Sundays. I'm Lashanti Jupp, your host. And today we have Shanique Aubrey-Smith from TNC Bahamas to talk to us today about conservation initiatives in the Bahamas. So Shanique, tell the people like who you are, what's some of your background in conservation, educational background, work background, all that good stuff. Great, yes. Um, hi everybody, I'm Shanique, as, as Lashanti mentioned. Um, Born and bred Bahamian. Um, I've lived in, in Nassau really all of my life with the exception of a short stint um, living in, in Abaco. And um, I have been working in conservation in the Bahamas since 2003. So that's that's about 17 years now. So that, that scares me a little bit <laughs> to say that I'm getting up there in, in the years. And um, I really, um, as a high school student, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Like, you know, at one point I thought I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, and then somehow that left me and I just gravitated towards just the sciences, natural sciences. And um, I got involved in a club in high school called the Ecology Club. I was all about teaching the students about native trees and our, the ecosystems of the Bahamas and why it was important. And that was fascinating for me. I really enjoyed that. I liked that. I eventually ended up being president of the Ecology Club when I was in my last year of high school. Yeah. So, and then going into college, I just said, you know, let me stick with this. This is what I like. And so I I, ma I majored in biology and um, did a minor at the time in environmental studies, which was which was great. I really enjoyed that. And eventually went on to do a master's in environmental environmental consultancy. So that um that's my educational background. In terms of work background, I've been working in um, Bahamian NGOs. Um, Early on in my career, I started out actually working at Brief. I was Brief's first paid employee besides Kesherine, who was their longtime executive director way back in 2003. Freshly, freshly graduated with my bachelor's degree. Maybe only had my bachelor's degree two months, and I started working there. And, and that that was it. I've never, never looked back. Um, worked in conservation. I've also worked in environmental mitigation. Um, worked in Abaco for a time at Baker's Bay as their environmental manager in charge of implementing the environmental management plan uh, when the development first first started back in 2005. And um, also worked at the Ministry of Works um, and Transport and New Providence Rural Improvement Project as environmental manager. And at that time, too, responsible for the environmental management plan and the mitigation efforts um, as a part of the road improvement project. So some people remember me from that time because I also was on TV um, doing some of the public relations um, for that, that project. But a highlight for me of that project was um, I worked as a part of the project on Big Pond, revitalization and um, restoration or rehabilitation of the Big Pond Park, which we all know um, is now up and running. So that I'm always proud every time I drive by and see that because I know I had a hand in that back in those days. And um was also involved in um, the removal of Casuarina from Sanders Beach during my time at Ministry of Work. So there was a secret trip to see at Sanders Beach and the playground and all that. That was a project that I led while I was at the Ministry of Work. So so coming from a varied background and then more recently, I've been with the Nature Conservancy um, for the last eight years, working on conservation initiatives and marine conservation environments. So 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 interesting background to lead to me lead to me being here today. Wow, that's that is a lot, you know, and I think that's beautiful. I love how you went all around from NGOs to government, back to school, back here. So that's exciting. And 
That's a, I, I'm blown away by the Casarina part. Like, I actually know the person who led that project now. Like, I didn't even know. <laughs> I remember growing up, it went from driving past Saunders Beach and seeing the Casarina trees, and of course, thinking that they were supposed to be there, to then seeing them being removed. And, and as you start asking about it, you then realize, oh, so this was a good thing. I thought that this tree was good, but, you know, so that's actually really interesting. And I'm sure many people who are viewing can remember that because I think the Bahamian people, a bit of them were a bit devastated because they, you know, they thought that that was the normal. Oh, yeah. that, that project caused quite a bit of stir at the time um, because of the cashewina trees removal. People love cashewina trees because they, they bring a lot of shade on the beach. Um, and there was also some, you know, there was the dredging of, of the Arawak Port at the same time as that project. So there was a lot going on in a small space and, and there was quite a bit of controversy. But I think people can appreciate now um, mm -hmm. what's been the benefit of, of doing that, that that rehabilitation project. I mean, besides moving Casuarina, which was which is an invasive species, um, we also redirected the road. If you recall how Sanders Beach was at the before, it was basically you were parked right in the road. It was not safe. Mm -hmm. um, really, really exposed for children and kids being so close to the main road. So that I think was also a positive benefit in terms of the safety. And um, there was some revitalization of the beach. So um, you know, we put sand out there. There was also those jetties added. Um, we added in um, some of the na um, native vegetation besides the sea grape. You know, we put some sea grass and um, sea bean, other trees out there. So I think it was it was a great project and in, in, in the totality, and, and we're reaping the benefits today. So I'm proud that I was involved in it for sure. Yeah, and it's beautiful now. I think it actually looks a lot better now than it did. It sure does. It sure does. <laughs> awesome. So you did tell us that you've been with the Nature Conservancy for eight years as director of their Bahamas branch. Can you tell our viewers what exactly is the Nature Conservancy and what is the work that it focuses on in the Bahamas? Sure. So um in the eight years, I didn't start out as the director. I became the director in 2015. I originally started working as a senior policy advisor, which is um, a person who really worked on relationship and partnerships with government, um, um, looking at policy and other initiatives. But um, a little on the Nature Conservancy, for those who may not be so familiar with um, us, we call ourselves TNC. So TNC is actually an international environmental NGO or non-government organization, a non-for-profit. And um, we're one of the largest environmental organizations working in the world. And that, so when we say largest, we're talking about in terms of size of employees. Overall, TNC has about 3,500 employees around the world. And um, also in terms of the reach and where we work. So we work throughout the US and we're working in about 75 countries and territories around the world. Um, 17 of those 75 countries are in the region, in the Caribbean region of the Bahamas, of course, is one of them. And TNC is a mission-based organization. So our mission is really our guiding light. Our mission is to conserve the lands and water on which our life depends. And um, here in the Caribbean region, we really have a vision of a resilient Caribbean where both people and nature can thrive. And um, the work we've been doing has changed over time as the needs have changed of the people and the priorities of the organizations and countries we work in have changed. Um, but we started work here and opened an office in 2003. So we've actually been in country and working um, with, with staff for almost 20 years now. So, so, so quite some time. And um, the mission of the Conservancy, as I said, is working on saving, you know, the land and waters on which life is preserved. But we have two big priorities for our organization right now. And um, those two priorities are make ensuring that we have healthy oceans, land and water and climate action, doing whatever we can to tackle climate change and the impacts of climate change at the moment. So that's 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 our big priorities. And here in the Bahamas, um, we work a lot in collaboration. So whenever you see us, we are often partnering with government, um, government agencies, such as the Ministry of the Environment and Housing or the Department of Marine Resources, or we're working with um, partner organizations throughout the country, such as Bahamas National Trust, um, brief, um, Bahamas Reef Environment Educational Foundation, and um, I see Olivia's on, so also friends. Friends is a day partner of ours in Abaco, Friends of the Environment, but we work with, with many others, um, and not just even environmental NGOs. We, we work with anyone who has a, a shared goal and common interests who can, we can support them in achieving that goal and they can support us. Um, so that's that's a little bit about us and, and who we are at, at a high level. Definitely. Um, yeah, I got distracted by Eric's comment. I definitely, I someone had said to me, you get some really big people coming on your show. And even to this show, they were like, 
got Shanique. Wow. So <laughs> definitely big powerhouse on the show today. Um, so you said that your guys' main focus was climate change and oh man, the other healthy, healthy ocean, land, and water. Right. So what are some of the conservation initiatives happening like right now in the Bahamas? And I know COVID has made things a bit difficult, a bit more challenging, but some of the things that were had just started or ongoing right now. Yeah, COVID definitely has, has been a challenge for everybody, right? No matter what sector you work in. But um, I think the priorities of ocean conservation and conservation in general are even more important now than ever. Um, and, and COVID has only highlighted that. When it all boils down to it, we have our environment, we have our country, and we have to make sure it's healthy because this is what is here for us to live off of and be sustained by when other things fail, such as tourism that, that's, you know, really seen a major collapse over the last few months and probably will take some time to recover. But in terms of the work that we're working on, I mentioned healthy lands and oceans um, as a big fo focal area for TNC. And this has definitely been where the space we've been working in for, for the eight years that I've been at TNC, focus on marine conservation. That focus um, takes a couple different um, pillars underneath it, for sure. Um, Eric's there, so shout out to BNT and, and all the persons working to protect our national parks, um, both terrain and ter marine and terrestrial. We have worked with BNT and many others um, since we started our work in the Bahamas, looking at creation of protected areas, um, effective management, how can we support persons like BNT and other protected area managers in ensuring you know that they, they are the best equipped and, and able to do um, the job that they've set out to do and to achieve their mission. And we're also looking at financing. Um, an issue for conservation and definitely for protected areas and management of parks is we need the funding to be able to have the capacity to people in place to do the work that needs to be done and um, to fund the initiatives that we want to put in place to ensure that we're doing the best we can with the, the ecosystems we're working with. Um, beyond protected areas, we're also looking at sustainable fisheries, which is which is closely linked. We do know that traditionally in the Bahamas, fishing has been a big industry for us, a traditional livelihood. And it's also a part of our culture in terms of our seafood um, and other, other cultural things. So ensuring that we continue to have our fish around so we can enjoy whatever it is that we like to have. I know people are like, yay, first weekend. You know, we were able to get out of this lockdown. We want to go and get our Kong salad. We want to get our comforters, you know. These are the things we enjoy and we like, and this is something we want to be able to continue to enjoy, and we have to do whatever it takes to, to make that happen in the future. And so that's what our sustainable fisheries work is ultimately aimed at. But um, within that, we do focus on two focal species. Um, the spiny lobster fishery has been one that we've worked on for many, many years. And um, also we're working um, more recently looking at conk and the conk, um, fishery and how we can help to make that a little bit more sustainable than it has been up to this point. And um, another area of work for us is looking at coral research and conservation. Again, all of this is linked together, protected areas, fisheries, the focal ecosystem within the marine environment that's a part of all of this is our coral reefs. The coral reef supports fisheries, it supports tourism, it supports um, healthy healthy beaches and the coastline. There's so much, it's helping us with um, protection from storms, storm surge, flooding, all of these kinds of things. So um, looking at coral reef and the, and the importance of it and how we can help to prevent some of the decline we've seen in coral reefs over the last few years is something we work on as well. And a newer area of work um, for us here in the Bahamas, and I guess for many organizations, is looking at coastal resilience and adaptation within the context of climate change. We all know climate change has risen to the top in the last few years, but definitely over the last year to two since we've had so many major hurricanes hitting our country and, and people really realizing like, look, this climate change thing is not just something that's out there being spoken about in Paris or somewhere else around the world. It's here and it's affecting us here in the country. What are we gonna do about it? How can we best equip ourselves to, to, to address the fallout from, from what what climate change means for us there in the Bahamas. So that's some of our areas. It's, it's a mouthful. Um, I'm giving you that high level overview. I don't want to get too, too much into the weeds today, but that gives you a sense of the scope of, of things we're working on in the Bahamas. There's, there's more to it than that, but that's that's really the big pieces of, of the work. No, no, and I appreciate that. And I'm happy you, you mentioned that piece at the end with the whole climate change is not just something being spoken about in Paris because 
a lot of people see these projects happening in the Bahamas for conservation and and they honestly and I've had people say it to me you conservationists just come up with these projects and mm -hmm. you don't even know why you chose to protect this area or why you chose to pick mm -hmm. the species or why you're doing what you're doing and and I really one of the things that I loved about having you on the show is that you could be able to talk about these not this international agreements like what are, what are they talking about in Paris and why are they talking about it and how is it influencing the decisions that we make in conservation in the Bahamas yeah, I know what you bring up is actually a challenge we've had in the environmental field, I mean, for many, many years, which is how do we connect the dots around the work we're doing, why it's important and what, what it means for the everyday behavior and why should the everyday behavior cares. And um, I think climate change is as real as it can get. Um, you know, our, our latest examples of when people talk about we're going to have more frequent storms because of the impact of climate, more severe storms. I mean, I think we've seen that. We've had Matthew, we've had Joaquin. Now we've had Dorian affecting the northern Bahamas. And then hopefully, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future. We hope for nothing else, but we, we don't know. And so we now have to really think about, is this going to be now our reality? Instead of having a storm once every, a major storm once every 10, 15, 20 years, it's happening basically every two to three years. And there's a cost to that, right? It's not just the government who's paying, it's not just the NGOs, everybody is paying the price in one way or the other. When we have these storms and there's damage, we're losing infrastructure, we're losing investments, we're losing jobs, we're losing, we're losing significant pieces of our economy. Okay, so this this is hitting us where it really hurts and it's really it's really real. And you know, at the end of the day, all of the work that we're doing has some element of that kind of connection to people, even though it may not be as as easy to connect the dots as, as climate. And um, you know, the way we come up with the work in terms of, of the nature conservancy and others is really a combination of different things feeding into that. Okay, so TNC, I mentioned we're mission, a mission-based organization, but we also feel like the work that we do should be driven by science, okay? We don't want to just pull something out of the air. We don't want it to just be about our feelings or what we think is important or what we think is valuable because that's very subjective. That's, that's some of those things are more of a matter of opinion. We want to have independent evidence that's subjective, the kind of guide, what should be our priorities and what should be the focus of our work. Okay, so what where where is that coming from? It's coming from it's coming from science and data. So TNC has scientists on staff who are helping to inform what we choose to work on, but we're not just relying on our scientists as well. We're looking at information that's been published um, globally um, around the world, but also information that's been published um, about the countries that we worked in, even though we're a global organization, the work yeah. we do has to be place-based. The environment in the Bahamas is not like the environment in Montana. It's not like the environment somewhere in China. Everywhere is different, so you want to make the work be specific to the place. So what are the type of ecosystems in the Bahamas? What are the important biodiversity in the Bahamas? So what's the important plants within important animals? Um, you know, all of this matters and feeds into how we would choose the work that we're doing. Um, in addition to that, you're looking at the priorities that have been articulated by national stakeholders. So like I mentioned, we are working with a lot of national organizations. What are the priorities of those organizations? Um, you know, and they've taken time to do strategic planning of some sort to come up with their priorities. What have been the articulated priorities of the government and of the country by extension? So we know we have a Ministry of the Environment we have the Department of Marine Resources under the Ministry of Agriculture and, and, and Marine Resources. All of these agencies have mandates around conservation, protection of the environment of some sort, and they have articulated um, priorities. So we also would review those priorities and use that to help us determine what do we see as high, high, high value action items in terms of what we work on in the country. And then you mentioned the international agreements, and, and those are very, very critical because at the end of the day, the environment is not segregated. We have political boundaries, such as the country, the Bahamas, or the US, Cuba, Turks and Caicos, but the environment doesn't have a boundary. There's no, no difference when you cross over from the Bahamas' waters directly into Cuba and, and basically in, in, a, in a minute sailing in a boat. And so people around the world have looked at what is important things that every country, no matter where you are, should be seeking to do in terms of environmental protection and conservation. And this is how we come up with the international agreements, such as the Convention on Biological Diversity. Um, you have the Climate Change Convention, the UN Climate Change Convention. You also may, people may have heard the Sustainable Development Goals. These are big international agreements that 
multiple countries around the world have signed on to. And that signing on to is not just willy-nilly. It has usually happened after consultation in country, and there's been some endorsement by the government of the country saying that, yes, whatever this international agreement stands for, we are for this and we are behind it. We are going to sign up to it and we agree to try to implement whatever has been the goals and objectives of those international agreements. So the ones that the Bahamas have signed up onto, um, such as the CBD, Convention on Biological Diversity, we also use that to help us determine our work because achieving those goals has to take many hands. We need all hands on deck to do the work. And TNC sees itself as a person, as a player who can support um, the country and achieving some of the objectives of these international goals, but also of some of the national priorities that have been articulated by national stakeholders. Right. Yeah, I think what you said is so important. You know, it is the science-based information as well as the country's needs coming together to one, create these international agreements and two, then you use that to create the perfect or ideal or because you can't say it's perfect, you know, conservation project to help kind of start making to reach into this optimal health for the environment. You know, humans have done a lot of things over the years based on lack of knowledge that have now caused issues with the environment, hence climate change. And I think it's so important that we do tell people it's not just us pulling something out of the air. Like it really is us listening to the science, looking at the history of the way of the world has been and really trying to incorporate that into what we are doing. Yeah, I think what you mentioned is important because um, one of the challenges we have too in conservation is this this um, changing of behavior. So so you know when when we come with proposals to government, proposals to community, to fishermen, to whoever it may be, they may be like, "Where is this coming from? We've been fishing this way. We've been harvesting our tax farms. We've been sponging. We've been doing whatever for so many years. Why do we have to change? What's different now from when the way I did it, the way my grandparents did it?" And you mentioned like we humans have changed. We are we have changed our behavior. That's been a big change that's leading to some of the environmental challenges we face. Even though we've been doing it for many years, we're now doing things we weren't doing when I was a child or when my grandparents were growing up or when my grand grandparents were growing up. There's there's new things that was at our play now that wasn't there before. In addition to that, you talk about you know, I mentioned data and making sure we're not making decisions just out of the air. We can learn when we collect information, when we're conducting research and we're monitoring, what do we do with all that information? We're not just collecting information for collecting its sake. We're looking at the information and learning from it and using that to help us adapt and to change. So broadly, there's this concept of adaptive management. Okay, you do something, you try it out, you evaluate it, you want to evaluate it, you look at how you can use that new information you didn't have at the beginning of the process to help you improve the process or make better decisions. And this is really what conservation is about. We are looking at the world around us and how our interactions and other things are playing together. And what does that tell us about the future? If we envision a world, a country, a Bahamas, a Nabucco, an Inagua, et cetera, as being healthy, we want to continue to have the sandy beaches. We want to continue to have the reefs with the, the nice big grouper and the angelfish and parrotfish and everything on it. Then we have to look at what's causing these things to leave, what's causing these things to decline. If we can figure that out, then we have the information we need to know. This is what we either have to keep doing or this is what we have to stop doing and this is what we have to modify. And this, I mean, it sounds rather simple. Maybe I'm over, oversimplifying it, but ultimately that's really what we're doing. We're trying to look at all of the information we're gathering from our, our ecosystems, our plants and animals and use that and help us say, hey, if we want to continue to interact with them in a way that's healthy and we want to enjoy it in the same way the next 50 years, 100 years, this is how we have to keep adjusting ourselves and our behavior and the way we do things so that we can continue to enjoy it at the end of the day. Right. And you said something so important in regards to us now changing as, as humans and as people. I feel like over time, and I don't know if you'll agree with this point or not, but I, I know I've said it on many of my episodes. I just feel like over time, as humans have evolved and adapted to making our lives easier, we've, we've begun to disconnect from nature. We now we treat it as, as a separate entity, as if it's like us and them, when really it's all of us together in this one thing. And so 
I think that is one of the crucial things that we need to do as a people, you know, in this social behavioral change is just realizing that we can't keep treating the environment as something that we just take, take, take from. It has to be a give and take relationship. It has to be harmony between the two entities because we are, you know, just tied to it. I can't even think of the word, you know, to just emphasize that point. But I think a lot of um, humanity has lost that, that connection with nature and that's what's made it to kind of be this other thing that we just use because it's just going to be there because it's always just been there until its end, but it's not so. <laughs> but I feel like I almost run out of like my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know you're passionate about these things, and um, you know, it's um, eventually the, the the well runs dry. That's the reality of it. I know we still have this vision of a very abundant Bahamas, and there's nothing wrong with that vision. And in, in fact, we still do have a lot of abundance in the Bahamas. And that's what we're trying to maintain. If we don't take a really proactive approach, we may end up at that, that day where the well has run dry. And you know, they say sometimes you don't miss it until the water's gone. And we don't want to be there and trying to figure out, hey, when did all the water go? And we don't even know what happened. We don't know when 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 it happened. Mm-hmm. We're trying to prevent that scenario from happening in, in the Bahamas. And, and that's really the big cry for all of the work that we're doing. It's right. not about taking away from people or preventing people from enjoying nature in whatever way they choose or how they grew up doing it and their grandparents did it. No, it's not about that for us. It's about, hey, we want to continue to do that, but we have to adjust because we've grown so much as a people. The way we interact with nature has changed so much and nature is struggling to react and change to what we are doing. And so in some ways it's easier for us to adjust rather than nature to adjust. And it's really about trying to keep that balance. So, you know, if you're walking on a tightrope, keeping your balance is, 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 is a constant dance. You don't just get to one stop and stop. That's not the case. There's the, you've got to keep on engaging the core muscles. You've got to keep on moving and, and this is what, what what the work we're doing is all about. Definitely. And I love that analogy because when you think of that, like if you if anyone's ever done any sort of tightrope walking, a balance beam walking, it's not just once you make that first and second step, you can keep doing that. No, you have to keep readjusting, recalibrating, monitoring yourself and kind of figuring out how do I get to this goal of reaching to the end of the beam? And, and with conservation, that's where science really comes into play because we have to be able to monitor what we're doing evaluate our usage to ensure that we don't hit a point where now the well is dry. We want to make sure that we see, hey, the well might end up being dry. How do we stop and do something to prevent that from happening? How do we keep this resource that we've had for the last hundreds of years still going for hundred years to come? You know, and I think, yeah, it's 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 important. And I think people need to, you know, be more aware of that, that it's, it is science that's really driving this. And that's why it's important for Bahamians to get into science. I think it's so important to have Bahamian researchers who have grown up on the islands, grown up in the country, getting the education or getting the skill set to help with this data collection and be more aware of what's going on. Um, but I know, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. I know the course that I just did, we always talk about conservation optimism, right? Like people always hear all the sad stuff like, oh, climate change is going to sink all the islands in the world in a few years. But there are some accomplishments. There are some things that conservation has been able to do. And we are reaping some of the benefits right now. And do you have any um, successful projects that you could probably talk about? Sure. Um, it definitely is all. It's not all doom and gloom. And, and, you know, we have to change the narrative around conservation. It's 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 the end goal is, is happy. Right. The end goal is, is abundance um, for for us and for all the people of, of the country. And so I think, you know, some recent successes of, of the conservancy over the last few years is, has been around our fisheries work, the sustainable fisheries work we've done, um, you know, working in partnership with fishermen. Um, industry, the Bahamas Marine Exporters Association, the government, um, such as Department of Marine Resources and and partners such as BNT and um, Friends of the Environment. Uh, We have been able to successfully achieve the Marine Stewardship Council certification um, for our spiny lobster fishery in the country. And this certification called MSC for short, really um, looks at how well are you doing with harvesting a wild stock of fish um, in a country, okay? We know the spiny lobster industry is really the bread and butter of our fishing industry. It's definitely the most valuable um, in terms of of catch and and the price that a fisherman can sell the product for, um, either here domestically or when it's it's exported um, elsewhere. And the country has invested quite a bit to build up um, being a big exporter of spiny lobster. You know, the, our estimates are about 95% of the lobster that's caught in the Bahamas is actually exported 
um, to Europe and to the US, right? So that's huge, that's a huge deal. And these markets are a little bit perhaps ahead of us in our thinking around sustainability. And persons are demanding more and more like, hey, I'm okay with eating a lobster, which, which is basically caught from the wild, but I wanna make sure that by my eating this lobster, I'm not inadvertently causing this species to be in decline or causing this fish stock to crash. I don't wanna be a part of the problem, um, through my consumption and my behavior as a, as a person who loves seafood. And so they're asking persons who provide and supply seafood to them to show more and more evidence that you are actually doing your harvesting in a way that's not going to harm the stock that you're harvesting. And this is what the Marine Structural Council certification is all about. To get to that certification took over 10 years of work, Lashanti, by dozens and dozens of organization in the country, okay? So, so dome and gloom, no way. This is definitely a bright light in the fact that this level of collaboration and commitment really to have a project that runs for so long um, to work on one goal that we ultimately achieved, I think is one that we can, can hold up and be really, really proud of um, for the country. Um, it's ensuring that we maintain really a sustainable livelihood that impacts many, many thousands of people throughout our country. Um, and it also shows that we can actually do this. You can have a fisherman working with an NGO and with government. You can have business people in an industry working together for a goal around conservation that can be achieved and, and that is doing good for the, the environment, for the fish, as well as for the industry and for the, the behemoths who are directly working working in, in that industry. So that's something that we're definitely, definitely proud of um, in the work that we've been able to do um, around our sustainable fisheries goal. And, you know, the, the lessons we've learned there and um, the experience we've had is not gone to waste now. We're still using it to continue um, to work on improving even more our, our industry with the spiny lobster. But that's being used now to support work on Queen Conk, you know, a few years ago, Bahamas National Trust led a wonderful initiative called Conservation. Oh, yeah. um, conservation initiative, I think, it's not trying to get some type of sustainability certification, but the end goal ultimately is the same, which is we want to be able to continue to enjoy our, our species, but not do it in a way that's gonna cause decline. And I think um, conservation was great at galvanizing um, the Bahamian public around awareness of the issue of like, yes, there is an issue with them. So there's a there, there. This is not just something we're making up. And there needs something, there needs to be something done about it. So I think you can get most Bahamas to agree that, hey, we need to do something about it. The government of the Bahamas is still in deliberations and talking to stakeholders around what needs to be done in terms of do we need to change regulations and, and other things. But I'm hopeful that eventually we will get to a, a great a great place with the conch fishery as well. So that's definitely something we're, we're proud of. I mean, the TNC in, in country, one of the things we've done a lot of since we've been here in the Bahamas is in working with um, partners, we want to support them as best as we can. And that involves um, capacity building, technical support for partners. And we've done that. We've helped um, many of our partners over, over the years. And um, we're proud of the work we've done with, with partners um, in terms of building their institutional capacity. We've helped people with hiring staff, with, with getting new office spaces. Um, we've worked with like the Bahamas National Trust on, on getting management, formal management plans in place that document um, what are the goals for management of protected area? How are we gonna achieve those goals? What are the types of resources we're gonna be need to achieve those goals? So that type of technical support that we've given to partners um, to ensure that they are as best positioned as, as can be to achieve their goal and their mission around conservation, we're also very proud of that as well, right? Um, being able to support others is, is a big deal and, and we, we really do enjoy that type of work for, for the Conservancy. So that's something we're we're proud of as, as well. Definitely. Um, before I move on to the next point, I know I saw, I don't want to lose it in the comments, uh, two questions. Uh, we have Eric asking, uh, is TNC still working on parrot fish conservation in the region? Um, yeah, so we had a big um, campaign in, in a few countries in the region called Pass on Parrotfish, which really was a social media campaign to raise awareness around the fact that parrotfish is such a key species for ecosystem health. We really should not be targeting parrotfish um, as, a, as a key species for consumption, which has not been the case traditionally in the Bahamas. 
Um, but perhaps that we've seen evidence that there's an increasing pirate fish fishery. So that campaign um, has concluded um, in terms of that big PR campaign that happened in, in the region. But TNC is still uh, more quietly in, in, in smaller pockets, you know, using our work around coral conservation and looking at things that will make, um, ensure that we have healthy coral reefs, um, using that as a platform to say, hey, one of the key species we want to protect and we want to ensure that we're not um, putting in danger is, is parrotfish. Right, so we do have another question. This is on the climate change topic. Okay. What is the most outstanding thing right now that's really affecting climate change? We know it's not just one thing, but there must be something that's really being noticed at this point. So I guess that would be, you know, I guess what's one of the biggest causes um, of climate change? Yeah, so I mean, at its, at its core, climate, a driver or drivers for climate change is greenhouse gas emission. Um, this greenhouse gas emission is a big term, but basically it's, it's these gases that are, <laughs> that are um, um, released into the, into the environment, into the atmosphere because of, of fossil fuels primarily. It's not only fossil fuels because you're getting it from other things such as agriculture and other things, um, which is not so much of a big deal in, in the Bahamas. So, so anything that can reduce the release of those greenhouse gases, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, and others um, from in the atmosphere can, mm -hmm. can help to reduce and, and reverse the trend we've seen that's been caused by climate change. So we are not a huge producer of um, greenhouse gases in, in this country, just because we're such a small country in terms of population and generation of, of these things. But we can still play our part in trying to reduce whatever emissions we do have. So this is things like, you know, the government has made a commitment about trying to convert from traditional fossil fuels for energy production to using renewable energy, right? Uh, renewable energy would primarily in the Bahamas use the use of solar power. Yeah. So how can you how can you try to get more renewable energy in buildings? Um, um, even in our cars, people are using electric cars. We see hybrid cars and electric cars more and more on the country. I'm on the roads. I, I noticed that that there are a lot more than they were probably even five years ago. So this is one of the biggest drivers for climate, and um, we really have to be supportive of anything that helps to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So we, whether that's supporting international policy and how we purchase, we all have purchasing powers as individuals. Even though we're here in the U in the Bahamas, we know we get most of our products from the U.S., from China, from other parts of the world. So investigating and checking and seeing what's the policy of the of the organizations that are producing these products as it relates to carbon and their carbon footprint. Right. And um, using that to help us with our, consu our consumer choices and also working at home. We have to encourage the government. I think they've made great strides with the solar powered um, parking lot at the at the Smart Center. You know, they have that, pro that pilot site at Anatol Rogers where they have put um, panels on the school um, to support reducing energy um, use. Those things are wonderful, but it needs to increase. There needs to be even more. And I think we need to be actively encouraging and calling for it for government and even private sector. Private sector can be doing more of this and we can be doing more of it. We can get solar powered water heaters, right? Electricity in our homes, the biggest burners of electricity are our ACs and our water heaters. So looking into how can we get a solar powered water heater? How can we get a solar powered air conditioner or some, some mix of it is, is things that we can do to help with this issue here at the national level, but internationally as well. I know I've had um, people talk to me before about the fact that the Bahamas doesn't have a large footprint. So what, you know, what would be the difference that we make? We need to be pressuring other countries, which is true, but I do think it's worth noting that if we take a stance and if we start making changes and, and show the world, this is how serious we're taking it, then that should be, that should send the message, you know, like we're not, we don't even have that big of a footprint, but we're making these changes. So bigger countries, more developed countries should also start taking that stance. And I know we have another follow-up question to that would be how does stuff like jet fuel, dredging, removing sand from the seafloor, et cetera, affect climate change? Let's repeat that for me. How does... How does stuff like the jet fuel, dredging, removing sand from the seafloor, et cetera, affect climate change? How are these things affecting climate change? Hmm. Yeah, so um, land use change, I guess maybe at, at a high level, because like dredging and whatnot, all of those are just like a change in land use. You're, you're maybe going from, from an area that has vegetation or some type of, of natural ecosystem to something else that's yeah. man-made. Um, those do contribute to climate change in, in the sense of um, 
within trees, within soil, you have a lot of carbon that is stored. When we are removing trees, so deforestation of any kind, um, removing of mangroves, um, loss of seagrass beds and other type of habitat, you are actually, um, as a kind of side product of, of that actual change in the habitat, sometimes we are actually releasing that carbon that's stored in these trees, in the seagrass beds, in the mangrove, and that is now being released into the atmosphere. So those type of activities can contribute to um, climate. So you, you're going to see when people start to talk about climate action and what can be done to, to mitigate climate, it's, you know, we talk about reducing fossil fuels. That's one activity that we should be supporting. Another thing we should be supporting is um, around the world, reforestation or keeping our forests in place. So, so in situ or in place natural vegetation where we've lost it, where there's opportunity to do um, restoration. So mangrove restoration is a key one. Mangroves store a lot of carbon in, in their, their, their mm -hmm. the tree itself, but mangrove also help to keep our organic matter in place through the proper roots of the red mangrove. And that too, all of that organic matter helps to store carbon. So that carbon being stored is, is significant and, and, and making sure that we are preserving our, our natural habitats and protected areas and in other ways um, can, can, can help to you know, contribute to reducing some of the challenges we've seen with climate. In terms of the production of of greenhouse glass emissions, the fact that we have them out there and they're already causing havoc, and we have to pay the price and address some of the issues as a result—that's that's something that's something different. That you know, adaptation and responding to the impacts of climate change is is, is different. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned mangroves. You know, um, the last episode we had we had Anessa who was talking about mangroves, and she did note that people don't realize that mangroves are also really good for this carbon storage um, effect. And also to that note, you know, they're doing this re restoration work where they're planting mangroves. And I know the Sustainable Lifestyle Group and Melissa, she might still be watching. They are, you know, running this 100K tree planting initiative. And this is all in efforts to combat and offset this climate change that we're seeing. So anyone listening, go check out Sustainable Lifestyle Group. Get involved with helping replant these mangroves. Get involved with planting a tree. Log your tree. Make a difference. You know, it's it's very easy for people to think that as an individual, they don't have any sort of influence or impact on the environment or helping with these sort of initiatives. But really, they do. It's small steps to a big change. If every person who's watching plants a tree and gets a friend to plant just one tree, that's going to make a difference. Like you have to understand the ripple effect of just one action that one person does. Um, Again, sure. the and, and like um, mine grows. You know, there's a big bang for the buck. You know, spent on mine grows. It, it can it can sequester or store carbon, but in addition to that, mine grows also has another another um benefit of helping to protect us. So so mine grows, as we know, um, help to absorb water, and they 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 help to reduce or prevent flooding. Um, which we know is a huge issue. Anybody who lives in Nassau, and every time we have a big rain now, we're, we're grappling with the water. We've all seen the videos of everybody saying, you know, they have to be using a boat to get around some community in, somewhere in, in New Providence. Um, and this this issue of flooding, um, just from regular rain or um, um, heavy rains, as well as the flooding associated with, with hurricanes and, and other types of like um, winter storms, is a huge one. It's one of the biggest challenges we're gonna continue to face um, mm -hmm. as a country particularly on the island of New Providence, where we have removed so much mangrove and we are living in low-lying areas. So putting mangroves back in place um, through restoration or allowing them to stay in place through protection in the first place, it's not just about climate um, mitigation, it's also about helping us to, to address some of the impacts of the climate change, which is the issue of flooding. And um, we really, really need to put a lot more emphasis on this moving forward. Yeah. Using these kind of nature-based solutions, as, as, as the term we like to say in, in TNC, is cost-effective. It's so much more cost-effective to just keep that mangrove in place and yield those benefits than to go and remove it and be grappling constantly with the costs, right? Mm -hmm. There's a cost for money. Every time a house or a building is flooded, a road is flooded, think about the amount of cars that are damaged and people have to get their muffler exhaust replaced or repaired. Um, you have to be replacing furniture, the time you lose, um, it, and you know, the cost on you just mentally, the stress that's caused by just having these issues that we constantly grapple with, 
It's even a health impact. You know, when you have a lot of water, maybe buildings are getting mold. There is, it's, it's so, so wide, the impact of, of removing just a simple ecosystem that we don't think about. And it's definitely cheaper just to leave it in place um, oftentimes. So we, you know, we want to be very strategic and very careful about how we develop in a sustainable way, thinking about the full cost of things, not just what's the price of building a, you know, a second home or building a, desert, a marine or whatever the case. There's a cost we have to pay that's beyond just the monetary cost. And right. these are things we need to start taking um, account of and paying more attention to. Right. And I think that's that's a perfect example. Um, and I feel like this community always gets mentioned because of that significant flooding that happens. But I think it's an example of us as humans, you know, as we evolve and we grow, we do things without the science. And then we now see the negative side effects, but this is an opportunity for us to make sure that we don't repeat the same mistakes when it comes to things like development and all of the things that related to removing mangroves. Cause now we know, now we've learned, like let's just leave mangrove areas alone. Cause they're not just some swamp or some wetland that it's useless. It's very useful. And then there are several areas I think in New Providence that are seeing that, but just from removing this mangrove, we're trying to build on these areas where you think that just filling in this spot because it floods sometimes when it rains is enough. And it's not because the water still has to go somewhere. And not that we're going to spiral into mangroves and flooding and stuff, but it's important to think about. And it's also important to note, um, moving into the next topic, that conservation in general and a lot of these initiatives can bring opportunities for sustainable livelihoods. I know we talked a little bit initially before the call and right at the beginning of the call, some of the ways that conservation can create um, jobs for people and that you don't need to be the person that goes to get your bachelor's, master's, PhD, postdoc. You don't have to be in academia to make a difference in impacting conservation. You don't have to be in academia to make a career in conservation. There are many technical skills that you can learn that will be assets to conservation organizations. And I don't know if you want to touch a little bit on that. Like, What are some of the ways that people get, get involved with some of the maybe conservation initiatives that you guys do, or even with maybe TNC in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. This is, um, I, I want to say the environmental sector is now a sector in terms of, of creating jobs and I guess ultimately livelihoods. I mean, myself and, and you were, were both great examples in that. As I mentioned, I've been working in this field for 17 years. This has been my bread and butter for my entire working career. And I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, just an example. I think there are many others who can say it. And so, you know, we are working on fisheries. I mentioned protected areas, protecting our reefs. These things are huge economic drivers and there are tons of livelihoods that are directly connected. We can think about the traditional ones that come to mind. We're thinking about fishers, the bonefish guides, um, persons who work in like the scuba diving and snorkeling industry of um, some sort. These are all jobs that are being created through our efforts for conservation and keeping our natural systems in place and healthy. Um, Outside of that, you now have us who are all now practitioners in conservation and work in the environment of some sort. We work on the environmental protection side. We have a whole slew of professionals who are working on the environmental mitigation side. We are going to develop. We are going to have changes to our environment. How can we work with persons who are working in infrastructure, who are working in con- in, in, in construction, um, who are working in, in things like marinas and other places. How can we work with them to ensure that as we develop from the design, the conception of a, of a project, of, a, of, a, of, a, of some big vision for changing and improving and creating economic development, how can we start from then to ensure that we are doing it in the most sustainably, sustainable way possible? So those professionals who work in with EIAs, environmental impact assessment, environmental management plans, mitigation. That's a whole new and opening um, area for persons who want to work with the environment, conservation, protecting our environment, but maybe don't want to be um, working like we are in terms of, of working with the protection side. They want to work on doing development, but doing it doing it the right way. So that's that's there. And in the private sector, we now have a new field as well. And I think it's it's this there's lots of opportunity for it in the Bahamas to grow way beyond what it is today, looking at how the private sector can improve their practices, right? And it's it's usually called corporate social responsibility, environmental and social responsibility. So we see more and more private companies, whether it's a hotel, 
whether it's a bank or it could be like a manufacturing company, they now have people on staff who work with them specifically looking at their environmental issues and how they can make sure that their environmental footprint as a, as a, as a for-profit company or whatever sector they're in is as is, is, is positive as possible. So all of these are new avenues that have come up in the last maybe decade or more that really provides opportunities for, for young Bahamians to get jobs um, in, in, you know, in the, in the country and elsewhere. So, you know, before when you had the science degree and you wanted to look at, at, at biology and all these things, people would think, hey, you're going to just work for the government. Maybe you're going to be a doctor. No, there's so many possibilities out there now beyond those jobs that people can really look into. And it's exciting. I've seen it growing so much since I started in 2003. And there's only just more, more opportunity and promises of growth um, for the future. So I would encourage people to really think outside the box as they think about what are the opportunities for us for careers. And we, we need to diversify our careers in the country. And we have so many people with so many interests and so many different talents. They, they can make it work. You can have someone who focuses on architecture, but ties it in with the environment and protection, looking at green buildings. How exciting yeah. is that? There's a nexus between health. There's a connect, you know, what's the connection between the environment and how we protect our environment or not, and health issues that we see in our country. There's so much, there's so much angles this can be a platform. So that would be, that would be my word to people. In terms of how people can get involved, I mean, it's, it's very simple. You can, follow all of these great environmental organizations like TNC and others on Facebook, right? There's so much information that's being shared on a daily basis. Get up to speed, learn, follow on Facebook, watch the programs when they come on TV, watch the videos when they are put onto the Facebook pages. All of these What's videos are <laughs> Sundays. I mean, this is a great, this is a great medium to, for someone to learn in a casual way, which is often most, most effective. Another thing that people can do is, you know, you have to spread the word, okay? You have to talk to your family, to your friends, to your community leaders, whether that's the church leader, the local council person in your community, um, someone who works in government, your MP, whoever. We need to talk about these issues. We need to be um, showing that we are supportive and that we care, and we need to spread the word, and we need to be encouraging others to be concerned and be caring, and, and that needs to happen one by one. Word of mouth. All of us can influence in our sphere of influence in our circle of friends and families and others. So, so we really need people to be much more active and proactive about this is important to the environment and this is what I would like to see happen. And this is how I want to encourage others to be involved in this movement of environmental protection for the Bahamas. Um, you know, other than that, you can reach out to, to myself at, at TNC. You can email me at Bahamas at TNC.org. Um, and um, or any of the environmental organizations and just ask, like, how can I help? If it's whether it's volunteering, supporting, helping with data collection. Once you call and you you ask, you'll get you'll get answers. If people can't help you, they'll they'll definitely put you on to someone who can probably answer your questions and and let you know how you can you can play a role. So so don't be afraid to reach out and engage, right? I think the biggest thing we have to do is, you know, we have to engage. Their active engagement and participation is key for, for anybody and for all of us to make this happen. Right. It is important. It is important to have the conversation. I think I've been surprised by how many people who I've spoken to outside of the conservation sector, because that's that's what it really is, right? You have to get outside of the sector. And the minute you, you spark that, that interest in somebody and you say something interesting like, hey, did you know? Like Casarina trees have the best wood for making furniture and they're invasive. Let's chop them down and let's do something else with them. And just, just sparking that one idea and, and having that circulate outside of the conservation sector is what's so important. So people who want to get informed, like you said, there are many avenues for them. And I see your comment. Yeah, volunteering is also really, really key and really important. There are so many initiatives. I know I mentioned the Sustainable Lifestyle Group. They are constantly planting trees and mangroves and also looking for trees and mangroves for people to donate to be planted. It's, it's so easy to get involved and it really takes minimal effort and it makes you feel so good, right? And that goes back to the health benefit. It's just something about contributing to a bigger cause, to something good, to something good for other people that also makes you feel good. And, and I think that's so important. And I know one of the other things that you had mentioned that I really also want to speak on is the fact that you just need to speak to somebody. And I think the conservation sector in the Bahamas is so 
well connected with each other that, like you said, someone can email you, bahamasatinsy.org, and if it's something that you aren't able to answer or you don't know how like much knowledge about or there's not the opportunity there at TNC, you know who to connect them to. You know which organization can help them advance that. And so I always like to try to encourage young Bahamians and even just young people, find out who are these organizations in your country what are they doing and reach out because they may be able to give you an answer or give you an opportunity to volunteer or get involved that could change your life that could really just change your life um again i feel like i always jump on a soapbox i had to quickly come back down i had to be mindful of time i know a lot of times when i do this the prime minister has some speech i don't think he does today though no we, i don't think so <laughs> we seem to have one more question i guess this ties into the connection you may or may not have the answer to this Apparently, recently there were castorina trees cut down out west. Was there anything done with them? And that's from my dad, Papa Jeff. <laughs> Hi, Dad. Hi, Papa Jeff. Thanks for joining in. Um, I I really cannot say. I do know that um, the people would have seen there being, being castorina trees removed out west, and even like I see seen them moving them along. Um, Harlan Wilson Pond, BNT's Harlan Wilson Pond on, on Milo Butler. That yeah. is an initiative of the Ministry of Works. Um, I know my good friend Bahia Hepburn, shout out to Bahia, she's she's on this. Um, she's a young engineer who's who's leading that project at the Ministry of Works. So that would be the person to contact to find out what are they doing with um in terms of the casuarina trees that are being removed. I, I I don't know for certain what's what's being done with them. But as as um the Shanti has mentioned in the past, they are grateful for furniture. You know, you can also use it for mulch um, and um, cashmere trees actually also make very, very good coal for us who like to have the grill and chill and, and, and you know, have our grilled food. Um, they actually are a, a very good tree for making gold. So anybody out there who's into that coal making, <laughs> I don't know if anybody was into that, but um, that that's also um, a, a great option with the wood that's been been used. Yeah, definitely. Because I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the benches that were made along Saunders Beach after the removals, those are from Castorina, correct? For sure. So we did want to like utilize some of the trees when we were removing them. So um, we had um, the artist Antonius Roberts um, make those benches for us on, on Saunders Beach. And um, that's a great example of how you can take, you know, some of this this wood from these invasive species and repurpose them for something that's that's positive and and useful and um, yeah, so great example. Thanks for reminding me of that, Lashanti. <laughs> definitely, yeah. I'm glad on them. They're actually comfortable, surprisingly. So, definitely. and they're holding up really well. I mean, I've I they've been out there now close to ten years, so it's it's oh. they're doing well. So they're durable, right? Considering they're fully exposed to all elements um out on on the coastline, so mm -hmm. it, it shows so the wood the wood's actually very very strong for persons yeah. with uh, furniture making and those types of things. It's it's a good, That's wood a good point. That's been I've seen a lot of rains. I've seen hurricanes. That's and they are standing and they are doing well. So anyone out there, I know my friend, her husband, uh, Daniel Belton, DB Bahamas, he makes really great wood furnitures. And I know he did a series of like driftwood furniture and I'm pretty sure some of those were castorina trees. And I think that's so interesting because driftwood has been floating in the salt water for however long. And the fact that you can still make so such sturdy furniture and, and items out of it is just phenomenal. But yeah, that's a whole nother avenue and topic. Maybe one day I'll have some artists come on and talk about things that they that do. That would be great. I think showing that nexus between the environment and art, that would be an awesome topic for you. It is important. But yeah, it doesn't seem like we have any other questions that I can see. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for our viewers? What are some of the things that you think people should know um, about conservation, about TNC, about yourself? Sure. So um, just thank you for having me here today. I, I really appreciate it. And thanks to all who took the time to view on a Sunday afternoon. You can be chilling and I, I appreciate you viewing and your questions. And um, I guess my final my final thoughts for, for persons is that like, you know, we are all Bahamians. We all love and care for our country and we want the best for our family, for our islands, for the country. And I see myself and the work that I'm doing as being a part of nation building. Okay, so, you know, what, what am I doing every day? I'm building a nation. I'm building the best little nation in the world. And I want to encourage others to think about conservation and the work that we're doing in a similar way. We want to build this nation up to be the best country that it can be, um, to be a beacon of light and a great example of how we can develop and do it right maintaining our environment, but still making sure that we're taking care of our people and enjoying the best life that we can. And, um, you know, it all, it, we need all hands on deck. As I said earlier, 
we all have a role to play and I would encourage you to learn more and do whatever you can to support and assist. Um, as we reach out to people, often you hear about conservation organizations having town hall meetings or consultations or talking to people. We need your active engagement to make these things a success because it's all about making sure that we are valuing and doing what, what is important to the everyday Bahamian while protecting the environment. So that would be my final word. That was beautiful. Yeah. And I think it's also important for people to give us feedback, you know, because in, in you just saying that community meetings one, please just tell these organizations what you want to see more of, less of, if you have any ideas, if you think there's something that we could be doing better in regards to reaching out to the community or even communicating these messages to the community. Um, definitely let us know. Uh, I don't see any more questions. So I'm going to have my final thoughts, which is really just Stay tuned to my Instagram. There will be a birthday giveaway. And please, people, always remember that is not the ocean that separates us as a country, as a nation. It's what connects us to nature and to each other. Thanks again for tuning into Siren Sundays. Thank you so much, Shanique, for coming on this show. I really appreciate you taking the time out to do this. But you could be doing anything else on your Sunday afternoon. You chose to be here with me to talk about conservation initiatives in the Bahamas. So thank you so much. And everyone, have a great afternoon. <laughs>